Well, church, they may still be able to hear us. Can we tell our worship team how much we appreciate them showing us Jesus this morning? Amen. Thank you for singing like you mean it this morning. I I pray it is well uh, with your soul this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, And if you're a note taker, take out your notebooks. And for some of you men, this may be the first time you've ever taken notes before in church in your life. All right, so turn to Song of Solomon with me, if you will. Uh, Song of Solomon. So as we're continuing uh, the story this year, we're reading through the Bible together as a faith family. Uh, And so as you guys know, as we're reading through our time, our personal time with Jesus and the Word, we come here in our weekend gatherings and we're preaching uh, from a segment of uh, our reading from the week before. And so this week, if you guys were reading along with us, we read uh, the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, And so I I am, I'm excited uh, to preach this book. I've never preached through uh, this book. And honestly, I've grown up in church really pretty much my whole life. And I've never heard anyone preach uh, from this book. And, and so uh, in some ways, it's awkward uh, for me to stand here and preach this book. But in many ways, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that I pray that we not just understand about sex and marriage and intimacy, but I pray that even in the book of Solomon, Solomon as we see what it's pointing us to, that we even get a glimpse of Jesus this morning as we, as we read um, this book book together, but about this book before we jump in. So I've got a lot of groundwork that I'm going to try to lay before we kind of survey uh, what's going on uh, in the book of Song of Solomon. But this book throughout church history has been one of the most controversial books um, that we have. Uh, so a lot of, here's a couple reasons why. Uh, number one, it's difficult to interpret. So a lot of people ask questions kind of like this. So it's, is this to Solomon, by Solomon, or about Solomon? So people have, throughout the centuries, had to figure out what, what's it about. Um, we really don't know who wrote this book. Uh, some have said it's an allegory of the church. And so it's poetic, it's wisdom literature, and so it's very uh, poetic kind of form of language. And so this is actually an allegory about Christ and the church. It has nothing to do with marriage, nothing to do with physical intimacy at all, and has everything to do with just Jesus and the church. So is there a symbol behind every picture? So is that what, how we are to approach this book? Some people throughout history have said, no, this is just a literal historical story. So this is a story, almost like we're watching a reality TV show of a young couple. But then some have said that it's um, a collection of love poetry. That it's actually, uh, it's poetry together. So is it just a collection of random poems put together? Or is it a narrative, if you will, of a love song that tells one story? And so, listen, we can go all day and talking about the different ways to approach this text. Um, not saying we shouldn't have a position, but what we're focusing on this morning is what is clear. What is clear. And so we believe with all of our heart, we're not going to, you know, solve the church history dilemmas throughout the generations of how to interpret this scripture. But there's some principles that we can see uh, throughout this book that apply directly uh, to our life and directly to our uh, worlds. And so our, our world is to, today is to focus on what is clear, but it's certainly love poetry. We'll talk about that in just a second. Here's another reason why it's difficult for me to preach this book and throughout, why it's been difficult throughout the centuries to preach this book, uh, because the imagery that's talked about here, we're in a garden, and it's very lush, and the locations are, are kind of foreign to us. The um, names and the settings, especially the metaphors that are used, are not really culturally uh, applicable to our day. So fellas, if you go home and you tell your wife that her hair looks like a flock of goats, 
okay? It's not going to do much uh, for you in that moment, okay? So, so we look at this, and we just take it at surface value. So what in the world is going on here? I think there's one that says pretty much your neck is like a big tower. Like, is he, is he saying you have a big, fat neck? No, dude, land the plane. Don't go there with your wife. It's not a good uh, idea. But I think what we're going to see is that this is wisdom literature. It's a genre that we've been reading. So Song of Solomon, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's written to say not just here's the facts. It's written in such a way to make us explore, to make us to wrestle, to see the beauty of something. It's, it's poetry. It's wisdom. It makes us wrestle uh, with this. So why preach this book? Like I said, I've got a lengthy introduction, so just sit back. I, I, I promise we won't be here all day, just a few hours, I promise, okay? But a lengthy introduction. Why are we preaching this book? Because I want us to lay the groundwork and not just jump into these images, not just try to pull out application for our lives. I really do want us to wrestle uh, with this together. So number one, here's why we're preaching this book, the Song of Solomon, uh, here at Trustees Baptist Church today. It is the inspired Word of God. Amen? It's so we believe about preaching through books of the Bible. Here's why this is so beautiful. We believe in all of the Bible. It says that all of Scripture is profitable for us. Not just the portions that aren't as awkward, not the portions that we think that are applicable, but all of Scripture is for our good. But, but perhaps the next question is, but why is this in the Bible? I don't know if you read this this week and go, I did not know that was in the Bible. Uh, why is this book here in the, in the Word of God? So verse one, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. He calls it the song of songs. So it's, it's the greatest hits, if you will. This is the best of love songs. It's the song of all songs. And so I want you to think about this. If what I just said is true, and then Song of Solomon is testifying to itself, listen, that it's one of the best songs ever written. Song of songs. Think about this. It is divinely inspired from the mouth of God love poetry. Now, written by the author, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is for us, from God to you. Divinely inspired love poetry. So God does not just give us a theological foundation for sex and marriage and intimacy. He writes a song. That, so just maybe, just maybe, marital intimacy, listen, is not just about procreation, but it's about pleasure. That the only response to seeing this good gift from God is joy. To be sung. I think that's really, really cool. That's such a gift that God has given us. But here's the second reason we're going to preach this this morning. Listen, sexuality is one of the most prominent issues of our culture today. It just is. And it will prove to be one of the most controversial positions for the church to take a stand if we're going to stand biblically. It's everywhere. If you've turned on the news in any, time, any recent past, you've seen it everywhere. Expressions of, of sex. No niche of our culture shirks away from talking about this topic. And what I want us to see this morning in the confines of the church, maybe you grew up in the church and we've never had honest conversations around this. But listen, the Bible does not shirk away from talking about sex either. It's here. It's something that we've got to talk through. It has much to say about the topic. So we as the church want to join God in, the word, in his word and join our culture into saying, no, 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 it's God's idea. And we want to talk about the, the beauty that he's laid out for us. We need our worldview shaped. Remember Pastor Daniel last week talked about a worldview, right? It's the way by which we see everything. So we need our worldview shaped when it comes to this. We don't need it shaped by the world's standards. We don't even need it shaped, listen, by our own 
heart's desires that's broken and inward and twisted and not uh, according to what, who God is and what he's done. We need our worldviews shaped by the word of God. We need to see the word of God for what it is. Our culture says this about sexuality. Whoever, however, whenever, if it feels good, just do it. And the Bible, we'll see, has a completely different response. But listen, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, pornography, listen, boredom in marriage, all of this is, is in our culture and it's real. This is where we are living. The Bible confronts this. Here's the third thing while we're preaching this book. Listen, following Jesus shapes every area of our lives. If we are a redeemed community of Jesus followers on mission together, listen, we don't get to compartmentalize that and say, that's my Sundays, that's my Wednesdays, I'm just following Jesus to get to heaven one day when I die, has nothing to do with the today. And we're saying, no, 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 following Jesus has everything to do with every aspect of who we are, including how we view and use and operate within the confines of our sexual desires and marriage, marital intimacy and our pursuit of one another and even our singleness. We'll talk about that in a second. It has something to say to us. So I love this quote by, by Kuyper. He's an old church father. He says, there's not one square inch in all of the universe over which Jesus, who is Lord of all, does not declare mine. You belong to him, and your sexuality is an important part uh, of who you are. And then also we believe that, that, listen, the gospel, we talk about the gospel all the time here, right? That the gospel informs our view. A theological understanding of the gospel narrative shapes our view of sexuality. So listen, marital intimacy was God's idea. It was part of the creation that he wove into the fabric of, of who you are. So let's read it together in Genesis 2. We've read this before. We won't spend a lot of time here. Verse 24 says, and the words will be on the screen, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Notice, and they shall become one flesh. Consummation of marriage. Verse 25, and the man and his wife, notice, were both naked and were not ashamed. Can I get an amen? That's a good verse. Naked, that is, that is God's design. Before sin crept in, you were made for that. To be holy, connected to somebody, and so vulnerable and, and open that you can be naked and unashamed. That is God's design for humanity. But listen, sex is intended to be a gift to be enjoyed. The design for sex and intimacy in marriage is a gift to be enjoyed. And we're going to see a brief picture of this in the Song of Songs as we read it in a little bit. But listen, here's what, what's wrong with all of us is our sin has, against God has fractured our relationships. It's fractured our relationships with God. It's fractured our relationships the way we see ourselves and our identity. It's fractured the way we see other people. And, and it fractures the way that we use this gift of our sexuality. It's fractured it. It's not, it's, it's, it's messed up. So Genesis 3 verse 7, after sin has entered the world, Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. Notice the response. Notice, the guilt and the shame directly linked to this uh, idea. They were naked and unashamed before sin. After sin, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. A separation, a hiding, a guilt, a shame was not intended to be that way. So here's the way that brokenness in sexuality happens in our culture today and how we all are affected by this. So instead of a gift to be enjoyed, our sin causes us to view sexuality, listen, number one, sex as a God to be worshipped. Our culture is rampant. So many of us, even in this room, we find our identity 
in sexuality. So many of us run to these things. We, to beauty and outward appearance is everything to us in this culture. Being accepted by a man or a woman in that way is, is, a, is, is about fulfillment and significance. So listen, it's not just about the physical act. For so many people, it's never just about the physical act. It's always a deeper worship issue. We worship our way into sin. It's not just about the behavior. There's an underlying thing about the corruption of the way we use sexuality that is ultimately rooted in idolatry. We look to sex to be something that only God can be for us, to find significance, worth, validation, approval, control, that ultimately we only get in God. And so is that you this morning, the seeing sex in a false way, that it's everything? It's everything. So I'm pursuing marriage. I'm pursuing a relationship. I'm pursuing physical intimacy. And I'm not whole unless I have this. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a distortion of the good design, the way God has intended it to be. But not just God, a God to be worshipped. We also see sex as gross. <laughs> so I said in the notes, something to be avoided. So listen, you can grow up in church, and I, we've heard some variation of this. This is almost comical, but it's true for so many of our experiences. Listen, sex is bad, so save it for the one you love. You know, it's this, it's this image like, don't do it. Don't do it. That, that's all that the Bible says is don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't have sex. And it's just evil. It's nasty. It's gross. And, I, and I, in some ways, I grew up with that kind of understanding. I grew up with that understanding. And so what we're saying is, it's not. Sex is good. It's a gift. Sexuality is a gift. Marital intimacy is a gift. It's not something to be avoided. It's not something to not be talking about. And so even the fact that even right now we're going, man, this is kind of awkward to talk about this in church. That's part of that brokenness inside of us. It shouldn't have to be this way. It shouldn't have to be this way. So um, if it's such a precious gift, listen, if that really is it, so our sin has broken it, to rip our sexuality and to rip this and try to, to get it outside of the way God intended it is to not just steal its beauty, but it, is to, it, is, it will cause untold brokenness and hurt. Untold brokenness and hurt. I'm borrowing this illustration from a pastor, um, but I thought it was really, really helpful. So if I ask you this, is it good to have fire in your house? What would be your, your response back to me? And I hope it would be, Depends on where the fire is, right? Because so, if the fire is in the fireplace, it's a good thing. Cause why? Because the fireplace is designed to house the fire. It's controlled. It's useful. Maybe in the oven you have fire going on. If I try to cook, there's big flames, you know, going on. But the fire is good if it's put in the right place. But if there's fire on your curtains or fire on your carpet or fire in your kid's bedroom, listen, then it's a dangerous thing. And if you don't act quickly to put it out, It'll cause untold damage. So maybe, just maybe, that sex is that way, that it's a good thing if it's placed in the right context and enjoyed in the right confines. But to take it out of that, to say, no, 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 we're not going to listen to God's definition of marriage and sex and intimacy. We're going to come outside of that and pursue our desires, our whims, what we think about culture. Listen, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Even if it's the sex is God and you're pursuing it, or even the gross thing and we just don't want to talk about it. And listen, sex is one of the biggest causes of divorce in, in the world. One of the main reasons that people separate, there's a lot of issues, but this, con, this is a constant area of conflict among married couples. It's a, it's a big deal. It matters to our lives. And so listen, the only way to have a proper view of this, 
The only way to be healed, listen, from how we've used our sexuality in ways that are broken, that have hurt us and hurt other people. Listen, the only way to be set free, to properly enjoy it, is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he restores all things. He makes all things new. We'll talk about that toward the end. But that he's the only hope. And so listen, before we jump into a survey of the book, very briefly, I want to address, there's not one person in this room that doesn't need this. That doesn't, we don't need to wrestle through these things. So for those who are married, here's what I'm praying for you today. Whether you've been married for five weeks or 50 years or anywhere in between or more than that, here's my prayer. That you see the gift that God has given you. That you see the, the, the delight that is to be had in the, in the in marital intimacy. Not just physically, but yes, physically, we see that in Song of Solomon, but it's so much more than that. And you're going to see that as we walk through a survey of Song of Songs. But I pray that, my, my prayer, I'm serious, I, I, I made this about me as I was studying this. I may not want to preach this, it's weird, it's awkward. But listen, I, God is doing a work in my heart. I, I'm praying for marriages today. I'm praying that you're set free from whatever is keeping you guys from delighting in one another and loving one another deeply. I pray he sets you free today. And I pray that you can drink deeply from the well that God has given you and you delight in it. But then I pray that you'll do whatever it takes to restore what needs to be restored. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that for my marriage. But listen, for those of you who are single, for whatever reason, maybe you haven't been married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed, I don't know what the situation is. For those of you who are single, this book is for you too. This book is for you too. Here's why. I want you to know, and our, your pastors want you to know Number one, how better to pray for your friends who are married. To say, man, I, I want to pray that God would guard against that they can enjoy this. I, I, wanna, I want to know how to pray for my friends who are married. But then second, I want you to have a biblical understanding of what this is. I want you to have an understanding of what sex is, of what God has designed it to be. And then third, listen, I want to ensure that you are not tempted to by the lie that maybe in your own heart or the lie of this culture to walk outside of the confines of the way God has designed it. I want to make sure that you see what, how it really is, that you see the gift that it really is. And if you do it the way God has designed it, don't buy the lie. Don't ruin this part of your soul. Song of Solomon, uh, all throughout, there's three different times. I just want to read you one verse in chapter 3, verse 5. So especially to you to single folk, but this applies to us married folk uh, as well. It says, I adjure you. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So there's an admonition here. So what this means is there is a non-proper time to stir up affection and love. There's a non-proper time to awaken these desires. There's a non-proper time. So to guard against it. But when the time is right, the admonition is to stir and awaken like crazy and enjoy. You see that in the Song of Songs. It, it releases us to be able to do that well and without guilt and shame and to be able to talk about it openly. I want to read this proverb to you very quickly. But Proverbs chapter 30, the words will be on the screen, verse 18. I think it, it paints this picture. Three things are too wonderful for me, Solomon says. Four, I do not understand. Let's listen to the first three. The way of an eagle in the sky. Say, so, man, what in the world are you talking about? Think about it. They lay an eagle in the sky. How can an eagle just defy gravity and soar effortlessly and gracefully? It's a mystery. It's beautiful, isn't it? If you think about it. He says, the way of a serpent on a rock. So no legs, no hands, but yet a serpent can just slither right up a rock face. How does that happen? 
It's a beautiful thing. It's almost amazing that God's wired that in creation that way. And it says, the way of a ship on the high seas, meaning a big ship that weighs more than water doesn't sink. That's awesome. And I know some of you people that know science and physics and all that stuff. You say, oh, yeah, this is how it happens. I don't know that stuff. It's amazing to me, okay? I'm with Solomon. It's too wonderful for me to understand. But notice what he says the fourth thing. is almost too, too great to even put into perspective. The way of a man with a virgin. That's awkward. But it's in the Bible. It's there. That marital intimacy in the right context is just almost mysterious and beautiful and amazing. But now listen to the next verse in verse 20. This is the way of an adulteress. So he's contrasting what he just said in the other two verses. This is the way of an adulteress. So an adulteress is stepping outside of the confines of the way God designed it to be, right? This is the way of her or him. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. You see the contrast? One is beautiful, it's majestic, it's almost, just, it's just amazing. And then the other is just literally a, just a craving, meeting the cravings and appetites. It's messy, so I just wipe my mouth and do no wrong. I had a craving, I fulfilled it, meant nothing to me, done no wrong. And it just loses what it's supposed to be. It's in the wisdom literature. It's, it's painting this picture of that this is what sex and marriage is supposed to be. So as we survey this, here's what I want us to, to, to wrap our minds around. I think I've got it up on the screen. The physical oneness of sex and marriage is intended to be enjoyed, listen, only when everything has become one. See, here's the lie, especially you single people, hear me, listen. The lie is, I just want to fulfill this desire, fulfill this pleasure, and what they're saying is, I don't want all of you. I just want this part of you. I just want your body. I want your physical aspect. There's no commitment. There's no intimacy. It's just that act. And Proverbs is saying, man, you're missing it. You're stepping outside of the confines of marriage. Here's what it's supposed to be. Here's what God has intended it to be. Wait for someone who says, I want all of you. I just don't want this, this aspect of you. I want every single ounce of you. You're the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm committing to you. I'm not walking away. I'm here. And listen, when you Find someone you can do that. Say, man, I'm for you. You can drink deeply, and marriage becomes this beautiful picture of the gospel. So here's a statement for us, and we'll jump into Song of Solomon. Marital intimacy is intended to be, listen, mutual sacrifice and mutual submission. So I'm laying down my needs for the needs of this other person, I'm submitting to them as, as we submit to Christ and we're for one another, we're, we're after one another, not just to get my needs met, but to say, listen, I want you to, to flourish holistically. It's mutually doing that. And listen, so as we do that, we're pursuing mutual honor, resulting in mutual trust and fulfillment. So as we lay down our lives for one another in marriage, the irony is, is when we lay down our lives, we just sang about, I choose to lose my life and find it in you. Listen, that, that applies itself probably the most in marriage. As we say, I'm going to lose myself. I'm not living for my needs and my desires. I'm laying down me, sacrificing me for the good of you. I want to see you fulfilling. And the irony is, is when that happens, there's mutual fulfillment. Is when you lay down your life, you find your life, and you are satisfied, and you are flourishing as well. That is what marriage is supposed to be. Mutual love, mutual submission, mutual sacrifice for mutual fulfillment. That's not just about the physical act. 
It's about a holistic thing. That's God's design. So with that lengthy introduction, what I want to do is just very quickly, we can't preach exegetically like we like, usually like to do. We're going to take a survey of the book. Um, I'm just going to pull out some principles, okay? So hopefully you've read that, you've studied it, but we're going to pull out some principles to talk about intimacy together, okay? So let's just jump in uh, very quickly. We'll move through these and we'll be done, okay? Number one, intimacy is deeply intentional. Deeply intentional. Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 1, the words will be on the screen. says, On my bed by night I sought him, I sought him, whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares, and I will seek him whom my soul loves. Now, church, listen, this is just one example of many. It's very repetitive as it goes through the chapters, through the journey of, a, of an intentionality, of a pursuit of one another, of a longing to be with the other. So I told you I was going to go through this quickly. So there's just a principle. It's intentional. They sought after one another. So here's a question for us today, especially us married folks in the room. Are you intentionally pursuing your spouse? Are you really? Man, when we're dating, we're all about that, right? But man, have you quit? Have you gotten lazy? Are you asking questions? It's so easy just to check out when we come home and turn sports center on men or, or you know, just be about the house or just talk about the kids or just talk about work. And listen, when's the last time you got down to the heart level with one another? Do you know your spouse's dreams, their fears, their goals, the, the things that, are, that really make them them? Are you pursuing them? Do they feel honored and special? Are you intentionally pursuing? Listen, don't get lazy. Don't get bored. Don't give up. The principle here is intimacy. That, that, the way God's designed it is for you to be intentional about pursuing that other person. Second, intimacy is committed devotion. Chapter 4, verse 12 and verse 16 says this, A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked and a fountain sealed. Verse 16 says, notice he says, a garden locked is my sister. So there's an idea that she's locked to everybody else but me. She's locked out. She's not for everybody else. She's my garden. It's it's, it's committed devotion. But verse 16 says, awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden and let its spices flow. You see what he's saying? That it's a locked garden to everybody else, but she's my garden. And so I'm asking for, to really enjoy this garden and all of its, of, of its, of its, beauty because she's my garden chapter 6 verse 3a says i am my beloved's and my beloved is mine i am my beloved i belong to that person she belongs to me and vice versa there's mutual commitment and devotion there so listen in the safety of the covenant of marriage there's free vulnerability there's true intimacy there's a way to be truly yourself I wish we had time, but chapter 1, 5, and 6, basically the woman, and we won't read them for the sake of time, but she just says, in one way she says, I, I'm giving myself to you and I'm very comfortable with myself. But then the verse 6 says, yeah, but don't look at me because I'm kind of dark-skinned and I don't look that pretty. She's insecure about the way she appears. And she's about to give herself to this person wholly. And she says, some aspects, I'm, I'm ready to do that, but there's some aspects of my life that I'm kind of going, I don't want you to see this. And it's not just physical, it's personality and sins and past hurts. But listen, here's what true intimacy is. True intimacy is to be fully known, yet fully delighted in. You see this picture so poetically laid out for us in the Song of Solomon. These two people who are willing to trust one another with everything. 
not just physically, but with their whole lives and to say, I'm committed to you. And so that's true intimacy, to be fully known, everything seen and, and nothing hidden, but yet still delighted in. Because if I'm fully known and not delighted in, that's kind of what we're scared of, right? If they see who I am, then, man, they're not going to enjoy me. They're not going to love me. And, and that's no way to live. But listen, if I'm delighted in and I'm not really known, that's kind of superficial, isn't it? No one wants that. But true intimacy is both. And you see that modeled uh, in this book, beautifully laid out. So I got a question. Are you fully devoted to your spouse? Fully. Listen, do you have any eyes for anyone else? Oh my God, this, Lord, please do this in our church. Don't let anything substitute for your spouse. Be fully committed, fully committed. So, so ask yourself this question. Is there anything in my life that's, that's coming between me and this person? Man, listen, have eyes just for your spouse. Don't let a website substitute for your bride. Women, don't run to uh, so many times just this, this romanticized idea or, or somebody at work. Don't let anything come between. It looks innocent, but it's not. The end result of that path is destruction and death. Intimacy is to be fully known and fully delighted in. Are you committed to one another? Second, are you vulnerable with your spouse? Is there anything you're saying, man, I'm not letting them in there. They can't know this. Is there anything in your life that you would say that's true of you? Guys, repent and say, man, I I want all of you. I, I want to know you. Tell me, talk. And guys, listen, be willing to talk. Let it be mutual. It's a gift. Don't get rocked to sleep and, and let anything come between. The lie is it's better over there or this, I need this, and it's their fault. Kill those lies and pursue intimacy by the grace of God. Third, intimacy is sincere affirmation. Sincere affirmation. So this is a lot of the book. So what you see is they're having a dialogue with one another. And basically they're just breaking out in song at delight of one another. It's what the book is about. So I just want to read a few of these uh, together. So it kind of speaks for itself. Verse 7 in chapter 4 says, the words will be on the screen. You don't have to flip. You can if you want. Uh, You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousands. His head is the finest gold. His locks are are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves behind, beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping, dripping liquid myrrh. Uh, my wife tells me this all the time. Verse 14, his arms are rods of gold set with jewels. <clears throat> she has never said that. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. Uh, His legs are alabaster columns or toothpicks, in my case, um, set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved. Notice, and this is my friend. My friend. Not just my lover, but my friend. See the intimacy there? See the the holistic devotion? Let's let's hear uh, from our our fellow here. Chapter 6, verse 4 says, You are beautiful. My love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. So he's saying you're special, you're, you're radiant. Turn away your eyes from me for they overwhelm me. 
I can't even bear to look in your eyes, baby, because you're so gorgeous. I just can't look. You're so, you're so pretty. All right? Your hair is like a flock of goats. Here we go, guys. Take notes. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. I love this one. This is my favorite. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes, so lamb, that have come up from the washing. So they're really white, okay? All of them bear twins. Not, among, not one among them has lost its young. You know what he says? Baby, you got all your teeth. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Jeff's not here today. He's from Kentucky. That doesn't apply in Kentucky, I don't think. But um, <clears throat> Sorry if you're from Kentucky. We can talk later. Um, I love that. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number, but my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. You see that? There's all kinds of women who are beautiful, but you're mine. Man, that's just beautiful. So let me ask a question. Are you affirming one another? You say, man, I love my spouse. She knows. He knows what I think about him. Have you told them lately? Be sincere about it. But man, have you told them? Be specific about it. Is not this not specific? Like, I love this. I love that you don't have any missing teeth. I mean, let's go there. That's where you got to start. Surely to goodness, you can come up with something better. But I mean, start there, okay? Memorize these scriptures and whatever. But when's the last time you truly told your spouse what you admired about them? Because here's what I know about marriage. I've not been married long, but I've not been married long enough to know that sometimes when you get down in the marriage, it's hard, and it's real life, and you're two simple people pursuing repentance and by the grace of God. But listen, all the things that you don't like and all the things that you come against, all the sin becomes bigger than what you do love and what you can cherish. Anybody with me on that? It's easy to slip into that. So man, remind yourself, but remind your spouse, affirm them. Affirm them. Very quickly on this one, intimacy is conscious of threats. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So I'm going to take that verse. I I wasn't even going to park here, but I have to. It's conscious of threats. What it's saying is, as as we're enjoying one another in intimacy, guess what? The fruit's going to grow and our marriage is going to be great. But then there's going to be little foxes. Like this picture that vineyard. Uh, we're planting some uh, tomato plants right now, and a rabbit came and like uprooted this tomato plant. My wife's so mad about it; it's really mad. And like, I was reading about this, and I was like, "Man, that's kind of the way it is. You plant this luscious garden, you're enjoying the confines of marriage, but there's little, these little foxes that'll come in to steal away the goodness of your marriage. So, what are the foxes in your marriage today? What's the things that are, are going to?" rip out this joy and intimacy for you. Maybe it's not living out your God-given roles. Maybe it's just silence, refusing to talk to one another, a lack of time spent investing in loving one another, enjoying one another, finding your needs met outside of marriage, whatever that might look like for you. Fatigue, you're just tired and you say, man, we just come home and we're just trying to survive. But that's, that's a fox in our marriage right now. Misunderstandings that we've made it about it's a moral issue now, but we really just don't misunderstand. We just misunderstand one another, and we haven't done the work to try to figure out where the other one's coming from. Not prioritizing physical intimacy, making a space for that. What are your foxes? I don't know. I can just keep going. I don't have time. But be aware of them. Guard against them. So the last one is this. Enjoy physical oneness. And so if we had the sake of time, uh, we would read. But I invite you to turn chapter 4, 1 through 7, and read that on your own time. I wish we could go through it because it's just absolutely gorgeous, but I want to get to the end of this. 
But basically, what, what the guy does here is he begins at the head and works his way down and says, I'm enjoying all of this. And he just names parts about her that are just beautiful. And it's the consummation of, of marriage in physical oneness. It, it's, it's part of intimacy. It's delight. And he just works his way down and, and enjoys her deeply. Enjoys her deeply. And so what I hope you've seen is that this book is not just about the physical act. It, it, intimacy is holistic. We've seen how they're pursuing one another. And it's about every part of us affirming one another and being intentional and guarding and then enjoying one another and drinking from one another deeply, physically. This is here. And this is not dirty at all. Proverbs 5, verse 15 would affirm this. It's drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Notice, notice this word. What, let's read it again. What does it say? And rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice, delight, joy, singing. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Notice, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Be so in love with this person that you, it's just almost like you can't control yourself as if you were intoxicated. This is God's good design. This is what God has for our marriages, a deep enjoyment uh, together. But as we close, and, I, and you know that means nothing with me, okay? But hang with me. Marital intimacy is a picture of the gospel. All of this stuff that we've been talking about, it's just real. So I think sometimes in the church we've, we've made the mistake of taking the Song of Solomon to be just about the church. And it's not just about the church. It's about marital intimacy, loving one another. But get this, in our loving one another, I don't know if, Song of, if Solomon or whoever wrote this is actually looking forward to this, but God in his sovereignty and his wisdom designed it this way. So let me read this to you in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. It quotes back the Genesis account we read when we started. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. We've been reading about a commentary of that happening, right? Notice what he says in verse 32, though. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That there's something about the way we enjoy one another like this in marriage that shows off the gospel, that shows who he is, it shows what he's done. I just want to read this over us. Just as we're supposed to pursue one another, listen, Jesus has pursued you. Amen? He's pursued you. Jesus is committed and devoted to you. So why are we committed and devoted to one another? Because Jesus is committed and devoted to us. He will not walk out on us. We're supposed to affirm one another with words, but listen, Jesus is the word of God made flesh and he reveals to us the nature of who God is. He affirms that, he he shows us that. Listen, Jesus fully gave himself for you, fully. He He sees who you really are. Remember we talked about intimacies being fully known but yet delighted in? He sees you in your sin and yet still gives himself for you. He sees you in all the, the, the yucky, nasty stuff that you don't want anybody to know about you. And Jesus says, I'm going to come and take your place. I'm going to sacrifice everything. Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself. You see that? Sacrifice for our fulfillment, for our joy. 
It's in the gospel. So as we do this with one another, we love one another, and we sacrifice for one another, we are, it's empowered by the gospel, but it shows the gospel to our own souls and to the watching world. Only Jesus can, can do this. But listen, and we'll close. Jesus alone forgives and makes new. So if you're here this morning, I think all of us would be on whatever spectrum you're saying, Derek, I got guilt and shame. I have used sex in a broken way. I've, I've seen marriage in a broken way. or I've seen it as an idol. or I have sexual sin in my past. And I feel dirty and I feel broken. That, why is this the case? What do I do? Listen, read this over us. His blood cleanses. So whatever's in your past, what Christ has done for you can make you clean. And I would argue so clean that even you're more whole and more restored than you were before you sinned. It's this picture of what Christ can do in his atonement for you. His resurrection heals because Jesus rose again and has defeated our enemies. Listen, all things can be made new. Your marriage can be restored. The resurrection power lives in you if you are in Christ. You can do it. You can enjoy marriage. Listen, you single people can walk in purity. You can. You can wait for someone and not seeing them as the thing that's going to fulfill you, but to throw yourself on Jesus and, and trust him. You can. You can. And listen, his love satisfies. The earthly pleasures of marriage, both physical and holistic, listen, are just a taste. It's just a, a picture of the pleasure that we have in who God is. The joy that we're meant to have with one another is just a taste of knowing and enjoying him. Don't enjoy him. I love this verse. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your presence. Not in the gifts you give me. Listen, not in the gifts. Not in marital intimacy alone. But in you, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't settle just for the gift. As we're enjoying the gift, Man, let it roll our praise upward to the giver of the gifts. It's a picture of the gospel to a watching world. So if you'll bow with me in the band, we'll come on up. I, I pray that we do. We respond well to this uh, gospel uh, this morning. And I, I want to read, uh, we're about to sing this beautiful song, and I want us to... Um, I want us to get a picture of this. So it doesn't end here. So that's the end of today. But I want us to look ahead a little bit. Your head bows, your eyes closed. I want to read this passage uh, over you. Revelation 19 says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Listen, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen linen is the righteous deeds of the saint. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So marriage, listen church, is much bigger than just our happiness, our fulfillment in this world. Marriage points us to Jesus. As we lead our wives and love our wives and give ourselves to our wives, men, we're doing that as Christ loved the church and as wives humbly and lovingly and gladly submit to your husbands, you're showing the church. It's putting the gospel on display to our own souls and to the watching world. And we point ahead to that day when our bridegroom comes and he 
unites us together. So the anticipation, the longing to be with our bridegroom. He will come and we'll spend. And so eternity is pictured like this, the marriage supper of the Lamb. This holy wedding day when we, it's, it's consummated and fulfilled and we get to be with God forever. Marriage and our intimacy in marriage is just a picture of that day. So this team's going to sing this song and I invite you to worship deeply and do business with the Lord however you need.